It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post-traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. I am here today with Sean Wheeler. Sean runs a ministry called Starfish in Colorado. They are in the fight against child sex sex trafficking and provide a voice for boys. Sean is a survivor who is is male and trafficked for almost five years as a preteen. Today, he provides training and support to other survivors. He goes to prison ministries to work with convicted sex offenders. He says, it took a long time for me to go from victim to survivor and now thriver. Boys are half the victims of sexual abuse in the U.S., and too many organizations do not yet recognize that. His hope is to change that, and his prayer is that survivors and offenders find the same grace of God that he did. Sean, welcome. Thank you very much. It's it's a great joy, privilege, and pleasure to be here. How's life in Colorado right now? Oh, it's it's welcome to Colorado weather. We had heavy rains for the past couple of days and got cold, and now it'll warm up again. And so, you know, at least the snow or snows are done for this season. So, <laughs> yeah, we uh, I'm in Montana and. Boy, this the spring can be just a bag of tricks, can't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like you can get <laughs> a blizzard. I think one few years ago we got a like a heavy blizzard on May 21st, and then the next few days after that it was all up in the 70s again, and all the snow melted, and that was the snow was done, and then the trees all bloomed, and so it's like May 21st. And yep, you get all th- you get three seasons at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, tell us something that is not in the bio, maybe about yourself or your family, your interests, your hobbies. Well, I'm, uh, I love to travel and I have, uh, I will say since I started sharing my story back in 2014, my, my entire family knows now and they they fully support me, which is a blessing because that's not always the case with survivors. Um, and so we do love to travel. I'm very much an extrovert and I'm married to someone who's very much an introvert. And, uh, you know, when I speak, it's like, I've asked her one time, you want to come up on the platform and introduce yourself? And she's like, no, no, <laughs> not interested. So she'll, she'll raise her hand. Cause I always have to introduce her when I'm speaking, obviously. Um, when people hear my story, it's like, she's the very first person who I ever told anything to. And, um, you know, a year after that, we ended up getting married and she's uh, she's a powerful prayer warrior and amazing person, but she does not want to be in the spotlight and that's okay. All so. right. Well, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> so, um, so your story, can you just dive right in and um, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and your story? And, uh, I, you know, you and I have talked a bit about it, but uh, maybe you could, you could help us to understand a little bit your perspective and history. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I grew up in, um, you know, I was actually born in Colorado, but we lived ended up living in a small town in the Midwest. And um, unfortunately, my parents' marriage by the time I came along was already kind of dissolving and they were trying very hard to fix it, but there was a lot of dysfunction going on in the home. Um, 
I am, like I said, very much an extrovert and I have the personality type that, uh, you know, lends itself to being susceptible to predation um, predators because there was, um, you know, a lot of challenges in our home and I uh, had been taught early on my birth wasn't planned and this was not by my mm. parents either, by the way, but my grandparents would my you know one of them would remind me that my birth was hard on my mom because it was less than a year after my brother and I nearly killed you nearly killed your mother when you were born and it's like oh no I didn't Uh, but you know when you hear that as a little kid you think horrible things and so oh yeah um you know and I and I believe that and it was very hard pregnancy and, and all that but you know that's the it's not the baby's fault. The baby was created. Right. Um, and no kid is a mistake too. I tell that to people now. I said, I finally realized I was never a mistake. God planned me. Um, and talking to my father not long ago, he said, just so you know, neither your mother or I ever thought you were a mistake, um, mm. which is very, you know, healing to hear, but there was a lot of dysfunction and I had a false illusion that I wasn't very much loved at home. Um, and so the person that ran the network was somebody that knew my parents and, uh, he was, when you say the network, what are you referring to? The, the child sex network that I was eventually placed into. Okay. And so often the way it works is they will, they will use an older boy who's always, or girl already in the network to start grooming a younger one. Um, which is what happened to me starting very young. I mean, I'm not even hundred percent sure, but I know the first time that I met one of these um, older boys in this case, uh, he lured me into a shed and that's where he sexually abused me the first time. And I remember in that shed, when we went up to the loft area, um, there was a, a used condom by the mm. window. And, and I remember picking it up and knowing what it was but not really um, putting the pieces together. My first counselor said, that tells me it happened before because no five-year-old knows what a condom is unless somebody taught him. Mm. Um, but that was the first time he actively um, molested me in that shed. And then after that, it was always with a couple of him and a couple of his friends, or you know, eventually I got introduced to adults. And uh, but what would happen is they would um, threaten me, as is often the case. Well, if you say anything now, no one's going to want you. And again, when you're five, you believe that. And when you're already on thin ice at home, at least that's how you see it. You think, I don't want to risk it for this. And so you just comply. But they would also hit me, too. Um, yeah. They would use sometimes a section of Hot Wheels race car track to whack me on the behind and make me compliant. And I finally just got to a place where I just did. Um, I gave up the fight because I couldn't outpower, um, you know, two or three older people. And, um, you know, it was just, it just started from there. And then I got introduced into the network. Um, It was a very cruel situation. There was, I remember one time where they, they uh, had me out in a backyard and, said okay start running and the one guy took a football and he nailed me in the back with it knocked me down and 
then they made me run again. And it was like a game for them oh. to see how, how they could do that. But it was a ex, their way of exerting control over me. Right. Um, eventually I got introduced to adults and at age seven, about age seven, I was used in child pornography with another boy and a girl and uh, three adults were there. And, um, after that point in time, until I got in counseling, I, I hated having my picture taken. Um, and you know, it just, it wasn't for me an everyday kind of thing, but mm-hmm. it was frequent enough. And, you know, um, that's why when I speak now, people will come to me and say, you know, what happened to me was only one time I feel embarrassed to speak to you. And I remind them, I said, you know, what happened to you is no less painful to God than what happened to me. Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. it's not, a, not a competition. Um, and you know, so it's like, don't, don't worry about that, but you right. can find the faint same healing that I found. Um, and so we eventually, my parents got divorced and moved away from that town just before I turned 10. And, um, I was finally free of that network, but gosh, by that time I'd already been sexually active six years, five, six years, something like that. And do you remember feeling relieved to get away from it or was it confusing? No, I was very happy to, to get away. We moved from that town to a town in Arizona, which I was very excited about being almost 10. I had this image of me catching a roadrunner because I love the roadrunner cartoon <laughs> as well. Let me tell you, the roadrunners will have none of that. Um, yeah. And they just kind of look at you like, mm-hmm, I'm taking off. And they, they, they are very quick, in fact. But um, I loved it. Um, you know, so for a while, there was a safety net there. But there was also, I was still um, tormented by dreams and, and Absolutely. this feeling that people could still find me. And I had been taught, programmed, as it were, to respond to certain verbal cues and so you know i think both boys and girls predators are very good at at throwing out those verbal cues and maybe 99 out of 100 kids won't respond in the right way well when they get one that does then they know and so independent of the network that i had been in people were able to find me and just abuse me and all honesty, I'd been taught that's what I was made for. So I just um, let them do it. Um, I just assumed I had to, I had no choice. So it continued in Arizona, even though you were away from the network in Colorado. Well, the network that I was initially in was in, in the Midwest. So not in the Midwest. Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I, I don't even really like to say the state or the town name because I don't, the reality I tell people is that wherever you live, whatever town it's going on somewhere, either a boy or a girl, or, you know, I think that statistics are one in four will be abused by the time they turn 18. So it's happening everywhere. So there's no purpose in in stigmatizing that. A certain place. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. So um, as a, as a young child, how do you survive mentally and emotionally, you know, under the age of 10, you're not even a a teen yet. And you're not thinking abstractly. Everything is so concrete. How do you survive uh, that kind of abuse? I, uh, I learned to dissociate. 
And mm-hmm. um, I learned from my counselor that that's basically God's way of, of protecting a small child's mind. Right. And so I essentially just went away to a, yeah. what I called a safe place. Um, and I had to recreate a safe place in the counseling process when I was starting to get triggered. Okay, I'm, I'm going to that place. And, um, you know, that when I first really understood that, I um, it was annoying to say the least, because <laughs> I thought, you know, it leads to what they call uh, dissociative identity disorder, which is the multiple personality thing. And I, right. by that point, I was working with Christian counselors. It's like, oh, great. Now I'm screwed up in another way. Um, I'm like Sybil, you know, and, and immediately the Holy Spirit came around and said, don't you dare put a Hollywood image on yourself. It, mm-hmm. You don't have a hundred personalities inside that don't know each other. Now, some people do. I mean, there are mm-hmm. degrees of that as well, but that was not who I was. It's just that in certain circumstances, I might react as a 10 year old or a six year old or a right. 20 year old, something like that. And so I realized those are all heart wounds. And through a Christian counseling process, you're able to reintegrate those portions of yourself mm-hmm. um, and heal your heart that way as well. And so um, my wife had even told me, uh, we went and saw a great movie. It's um, about Charles Dickens. It's called The Man Who Invented Christmas. And he, you know, when he wrote A Christmas Carol, you find out the backstory to where he got all those characters. And at one point in the movie, his wife looks at him and says, sometimes I don't know which you I'm talking to. And mm. I looked at my wife and said, is that how you feel? And she said, yeah. yeah. I don't. Now a lot of those, so a lot of those heart wounds have been healed. And I thank God for that because I realized that's what was going on. She might say something totally innocuous and the 10 year old would be angered at that. Right. So I would sound right. like that. Um, but that's in, in the moment, you know, for years, I tell people all I saw were, um, that was why I felt like I was haunted by shadows because I'd have nightmares regularly of just snippets, you know, parts of events, but never the whole events. Well, when I got into the Christian counseling process, I was able to, to go there to relive the event, which sounds horrific, but you, you do it in from a God perspective and you, and you see that it was not your fault um what was really going on and you you recognize that god is in the picture he's with you right um so you know all of the middle parts of those what i call you know snapshots of events start to fill in and now i have the complete stories um and you work through them one at a time you know um for those of you who are listening, who are wondering about what Sean is talking with dissociation, um, if I can impose a little bit of my own story, Sean, um, I was also sexually abused and um, was raised in a very abusive household. And I do have a dissociative disorder and it has been um, indicated that it's possibly dissociative identity disorder. And so I'm very familiar with what you're talking about. And so for those of you who are listening, dissociation is can be as innocuous as you're driving down the freeway, you miss two exits and you go, where was my brain? And it checked out. And, you know, we just, or you're, you know, you're reading a book and you're, you're 
past three chapters and go, I, you know, I don't remember any of that. Your brain just kind of checks out. That's everybody dissociates at some point, but where it becomes maladaptive is when you have um, typically with children, they are in a threatening situation. And so their brain just takes them away to a safe place. So what is happening to their body doesn't actually, um, so they're able to survive that because um, our animalistic instincts are to fight, flight, or freeze. And that's a way of you being able to survive is to take yourself away from your body. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm very familiar with what you're talking about. And, and I do think that that is an amazing, an amazing gift that God has provided children. Don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I know what, if I had known at say seven, when I was used in the child pornography, if I'd been fully present in the moment, um, it probably would have killed me. Um, yes. or I, I would have ended up killing myself. And, uh, there was a couple of times where I got very close to suicide when I was older, but, um, yeah, I just simply kind of went away. And when it was done, you come back, you don't, forget having been taken there and what happened but what you don't have to see as a little tiny person um you don't have to continue to relive the events it's, it's almost like god's way of saying okay i'm putting this on a shelf until you're grown up and you're mature and your mind matures and right and 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 we'll handle it in my time um and and that's eventually what happened i found too that um you know, people have asked me, why did it take you so long to get counseling? Um, the answer is I was not ready to believe that I was repairable. Um, mm. And in truth, I was mad at God. And my counselor said, oh, you're mad at God. I thought, no, I'm not. If I get mad at him, I'll, he'll, you know, he'll take me out. Right. Well, we, we processed through all that. And the reality was, um, see, I'd been told by the predators early on, if God knew where you were and what you let people do to you, um, as if I had a choice, he wouldn't want you to love you or forgive you. And so I believe that. And that's why I never, I always believed in God, but I always had been believing too, that he couldn't want me. Um, and when you see Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's what it did. Um, he pointed out, yes, you are angry. No, I'm not upset with you for that i understand let's process through it right um and so one by one he's been healing those particular events in my life um it's just an amazing process so at what point did you begin to work through that trauma in your childhood well i um was had grown into a very angry young man and was sort of standoffish and difficult but i got introduced to my wife or the person who would become my wife susan um at work and she wanted to date and i was not into dating because i thought you know i was always believing you know if they know what i am um because i saw myself basically as an object well she she in her wonderful loving strong-willed way um <laughs> persisted and we ended up going out and uh we ended up growing very close and it got to a point where that had happened before I always pushed people away. 
Um, she showed up at my house one day in August um, 2004 and said, why are, why are we drifting apart? She was in tears. And truthfully, for the first time in my life, seeing her cry hurt more than the idea of telling her. I mm. thought this woman does not deserve to think that she did anything wrong. So I brought her inside. I set her down. And I said, Susie, people did things to me when I was little. I'm, I'm damaged goods. You can't possibly want me. And she knew what I was referring to. She didn't know the depth mm. of it, but really neither did I. Um, she said, well, I'll tell you what, God doesn't see you as damaged goods and neither do I. I'm in love with you. Um, mm. Let's work wow. through this. And we started that process a year later. We got married um, five years into our marriage. Marriage. We watched a movie which triggered me badly. And she said, well, um, it's time for you to see a counselor and it better be a Christian one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I totally agreed. I thought, well, this seems to make sense because she had taught me about a, a Christ-like love that I'd never understood before. And so, um, you know, I, I started that process through a lady at work. She was a licensed certified social worker um, through our healthcare program. They paid for five sessions. I got through those and I thought I was done. And then um, turns out I wasn't done. And then I ran into a lady who was speaking at my old church about her work with abused children. And I went up to her afterwards and was talking to her. And she just looked at me and said, when were you abused? And I'm like, I, I wow. told her, how do you know that? She said, I can see it in your eyes. That began an amazing process of me agreeing to work with her, praying on it, learning about the Holy Spirit, how to hear his voice, letting him lead us through that. And that's where it took off. Um, I did go through a deliverance process, and I do believe in there's a difference between the oppression and possession by de not demonic forces i was never um possessed by them because i do believe um that i was saved as a little kid i mean there's a timeline to that but and in that salvation I, it's like okay god has me in his hand but i was never ready to work well we went through that process and they pulled 12 demons off me that day um and with that, my life just changed. Uh, that's when the real healing began. Um, eventually, I, I found a new church. I was asked to share my testimony. I did a, a video. Um, both those things accomplished giving me back my voice and my image that I felt had been stolen. Uh, eventually, I wrote a book. and um, Which is called? It's called Wretch from the song Amazing Grace, W-R-E-T-C-H. And the subtitle is Haunted by Shadows, Rescued by Jesus. Um, and that that has had some success. It's reaching the people it needs to. Um, you know, and in 2018, I formed Starfish Ministries as a nonprofit. I decided to get out of what I was doing because my wife and I are both great savers. And we could retire early. So that's what I do now. And mm -hmm that it's just been amazing. I've been interviewed on 
the uh, 100 Huntley Street in Toronto, which is their version of the 700 Club. I've been interviewed on the 700 Club. I've done a number of podcasts, newspaper interviews, things like that. Um, I'm now connected as a survivor leader with uh, a, a consultant to Polaris and uh, ECPAT USA. I'm on their survivor council. And I'm a consultant to a group in Europe called the OSCE, which stands for um, Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. They have 57 member nations, and it's about law enforcement and 70 nonprofits. Um, so I spoke at their conference in Vienna last year in Austria uh, by Zoom because of COVID. Right. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's with all of those things collectively. Uh, three over three million people worldwide have heard me speak now and my first counselor who's still a good friend Allison said yeah when I first told you you were going to speak you were still the stubborn little boy it's like I'm not going to speak I'm not going to write and you can't make me <laughs> yeah <laughs> and she said and now look at you you're on the global stage um, yeah you know and I tell people the things that I've learned, how the wounds that God has healed me through, I mean, every, every wound that gets healed becomes a weapon. And I'm able to connect with amazing people like you. You know, I, I also tell people, look, we have shared hurts, but different stories. And through that, we can, we're, we're a powerful army of believers. Yes, um, definitely. And, and proof of scripture too, that God takes what's meant for our harm and turns it to good. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about Starfish. What is, what is the goal? What is your mission? Well, I do a number of things. I have a, I had to write a mission statement I found out. And so my short-term goals are to provide training where I'm invited. And I've spoken a number, number of symposiums um, and in uh, human trafficking 101 groups here in Colorado, you know, I share my perspective uh, I speak at fundraisers for other organizations. Okay. And uh, so I do that to educate people on, you know, um, the realities of boys are victims too. They are actually half the victims in the U.S. and ECPAT, which I'm a consultant with, like I said, has basically proven it by a study they did in 2016 called End Boys Too. Um, people can find that online. Um, so I do that is a sort of training thing. I support other organizations. I'm involved right now with three projects to get three rescue facility homes built for boys um, because there are none in the U.S. And um, then on the long, long-term long goals for us is I want to build, get 40 acres here in Colorado, build a church for people coming out of jail. Mm. Uh, and on that site, we want to have residential housing rooms for counseling, um, job training, stuff like that. So they can just, they can come out of jail and, and are, they have a safe place to go. That's a faith place to go right. that allows them to reconnect with the world in a good way. Cause in Colorado, what happens is when you come out of prison, they take you back to the city where you were arrested. They give you $200 and dump you off in the middle of this town and well, good right. luck. Right. Well, that isn't much. And when you come out of prison, that's all you have. And so, right. And all you have is your old connections and your old life and, yeah. and all of that previously incarcerated mm -hmm. individuals have 
a, a steep uphill climb to to reacclimating to society. They they do, and the truth is, I've had a number of people say, "Yeah, every time I come to church, I feel like people look at me like the jailbird is here." And so I thought, I want to build a, a, a church for them, um, mm-hmm. so that when people come in, they can say the non-jailbird is here. <laughs> yeah. You know, but they can connect with other people who can re- relate to that experience now. Well, um, I love I love the the bigness of your mission. Um, I'm curious, how big of a problem do you think trafficking of children is in America? It's huge. The United States is the largest producer of child pornography in the world. Um, and the estimate, and it, it's a very, I don't want to say weak estimate, but it's, it's a very uh, fluid thing. They, I'm told, I believe Polaris and others have said it's a $38 billion a year industry in the United States, child sex trafficking and child pornography. Wow. Um, and I believe that uh, again, I think it's been proven that one in four boys or girls will be verbally, phys- physically, emotionally, or sexually abused by the time they turn 18. Um, and, you know, for sexual abuse, it entails all the others because there's always verbal, physical, right, and emotional right. that goes into that. Yeah, it's never but, a standalone. A child that's just simply beaten but never molested is still abused. And because it's not just being simply beaten it's it's you know there's a difference between a spanking and and uh a beating although i i think timeouts work better than spankings anyway so yeah um so we are the number one producer in child pornography yes that that's, is just astounding that's my understanding and globally i mean it's probably over a hundred billion dollar industry worldwide of the networks that go on. And another group I work with um, is called International Justice Mission. They work outside of the US, but uh, they produced a a short film called Super Marco. It's about a little seven-year-old boy in the Philippines that's required, been sold by his mom and, and they live stream him sexually active with his three-year-old sister. And, um, he finally got rescued. They both got rescued, but IJM is, is, was part of that. But the live streaming is really the moneymaker now, uh, cause they can sell tickets as it were on the dark web and they record it and then they can resell the recordings. So, you know, the difference, a lot of people have discovered drug trafficking is less profitable than sex trafficking because you can resell the product. You know, once the cocaine is gone, it's, you've got to buy more cocaine, but, um, you know, with a kid, you can resell them over and over again as what happened to me. That's just devastating. Absolutely devastating. Um, you and I talked about, uh, labor trafficking being a, a huge commodity also. So talk to us about the difference between labor trafficking and sex trafficking. Well, labor trafficking can be either male or female, and it can be young um, little kids, teenagers, adults, and even even older adults if they're put into a situation like, you know, think of maybe women working in the garment district or, you know, men being taken away for uh, in uh, various parts of the world to be farm laborers, things like that, and they're 
or fishing, the fishing industry, um, uh, typically overseas has a lot of forced labor into it. And once you're out on a boat in the ocean, you can't get away. Um, and I'm, I'm told I'm learning more about it, but what I find fascinating is, and sad is that, and you know, with the native American community, um, the sexual abuse of women is, is much higher than um, people would imagine and girls too. And then uh, for men and boys, they're often labor trafficked off, off the reservations. And um, it's just, it's sad, but it's basically using your body as a commodity to produce a good or a service. That's why there's some amazing groups. I think Polaris has information on using non-slave labor produced um, products, for example, mm. like there's a wonderful chocolate company out there called Tony's. Um, and they're not, they're not really expensive, but they're really good. And they <laughs> use fair wage um, cocoa produced to do get the cocoa and the sugar and all that. And so they, they pay a fair wage. And because of that, you pay a higher price, but man, you talk about phenomenal chocolate. I love Tony's. Um, there are oh, more I want more, chocolate. Now I want yeah. chocolate, Sean. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. I don't need it either, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, th that's basically, so they, they call it fair trade or fair, uh, fair labor. Um, where people are actually paid an honest wage. And then my friend. So Polaris uh, lists different, different um, vendors and sellers that are, that do that. Yes. I, I think they're one of the organizations that does, but I think people could just internet search fair trade commodities and they'll find companies that engage in paying uh, a fair wage and also not hiring uh, little kids, you know? Um, so uh, yeah, it's uh, the labor thing is not sexual abuse, but it's every bit as bad because it's working people, you know, 10, 15 hours a day um, to produce the goods that become, you know, what we buy in the supermarket shelves or the sneakers or whatever. And right. more and more companies are becoming, I think, aware of this and responding to it. Wow. And sadly, labor trafficking is often takes a distant second place in the discussion to sex trafficking and it really shouldn't um so i speak up for them too well it's still like you said it's using using a body as commodity so it falls in the same category even though it may seem on the surface to be less vicious it has the same it has the same stink to it doesn't it yeah it really does yeah well um, one, one last question. I just want to know what you want people to most know about your journey. I want them to understand that, you know, it does happen in the United States and that, um, boys are actually half the victims. I know there are several national organizations that haven't quite bought off on that message yet, but I think they're getting there. Um, but I want people to know, it's like when I speak, I say, look, that is a chapter in my book, a part of my life, but it is not the end of my story. And Absolutely. for me, um, from a faith-based perspective, I had tried self-help books. I tried 
talking to shrinks and psychologists in college. I tried, you know, talking anonymously to people online. None of it worked. But when when Jesus came into my life, it just gave me something I'd never understood before. It's like I know what was done to you, and that you know, was not what I created you for. Mm -hmm. When I had that first conversation after meeting Allison, my first counselor in the church, and I'm driving home, she said, I want you to pray on it, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I got, I did. And I got angry. It's like, who are you? And why would you care? And I got Mm -hmm. an answer. He said, I'm the one who created you. And I did not create you to live in this. You come home. Mm. (laughs) And I said, I don't know the way. And he said, take my hand. I do. And I get emotional when I speak about these encounters with the Holy Spirit, because it's like, I always believed he existed, but I just had been taught a lie that he wouldn't want me, which of course was complete baloney. Um, yeah. And I started having these amazing conversations. And I, in that moment, I said, look, if you promise this will work, then I promise to do what this counselor says and to go where you lead me. And he said, agreed. And it just started. And one time when the middle of the counseling process, dealing with anger, well, yeah, more than once, but (laughs) the first time is like, we have to deal with anger. And, and I was like, I am not going to do that. And you can't make me. And the Holy Spirit's <laughs> answer was, argue all you want. I got all eternity to wait you out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was still stubborn. And, and then he said two words. You promised. You promised. I did. I said, okay. I don't know how this is going to work, but you do. And he said, and I will be with you. And we worked through the anger and the unforgiveness and the hate and the bitterness and, and all those things. Um, and when he first led me to the prison ministry, it's like, I do not want to go there. Um, and he said, do we have to talk about the promise again? No, we don't. Okay. (laughs) No, I got it. God. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but I mean, there's, there's the, the difference. I think there's people who have a lot of faith traditions and, and I will tell them there's, there's one big difference. Our faith in Christ is in a God who, who loves us enough to actively seek us out. I know of no other religion where God seeks you out. It's like you always have to seek him, and it's not performance-based. Uh, we can never be good enough, um, you know, to deserve the love and grace and mercy of God. That's why it's called grace, because it's a free gift, and no other tradition offers that. Um, I just know he's real because I've heard him. I've seen the change in my life. Um, I've had over 400 people talk to me, uh, you know, since I started speaking and they're like, wow, if you can find healing, maybe I ought to try this, this yeah. Jesus too. And I was like, yes. One amazing story. I had to work with a young man in the UK who had been again, far worse than me. And he'd been abused by church people. And he said, um, how can I love your God when church people hurt me? And I said, Alex, church people hurt Jesus too. Yeah. And he'd been to Sunday school enough to know that that was the truth. 
So I connected him with Allison, my counselor, and she worked with him and Alex got saved. And then he came back and he's like, do you think God will be mad at me if I never go into a church? And I said, no, no. Um, I happen to think he will. But, you know, I said, you just start this healing process and let him lead you where he leads you. And, but mad at you, no, he loved you enough to die on the cross for you and offer salvation. Um, you know, people ask me how I can go to the prisons and work with convicted sex offenders. And my answer is, um, I offer them forgiveness because God forgives me. And then I yes. tell them, you know, um, now you take it to the cross and you get, you get that total final and complete forgiveness. And I, I say, look, people ask me what their purpose is. And you, I tell them your purpose is to glorify God, whatever you do. Mm-hmm. this is what he's called me to do and so i go to the prisons and i do what i do so that um he can do what i cannot yeah and you know when people realize that god still loves them because truth is we never looked into the eyes of anyone that jesus didn't love and when they repent and turn to christ their life changes so mm-hmm. yeah well, um, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your story and your faith journey. Uh, how do people find out more about Starfish? Well, we're, I'm very excited to say that we're going to get a webpage soon. Um, I don't have it yet, but they can get directly in touch with me through my Facebook page, which is um, called Healing Men and Boys on Facebook, or my email is real short. It's sfhelp, as in Starfish Help at zoho z-o-h-o.com mm-hmm. and anybody can send me an email and i'll respond i am more than happy to travel and speak in churches or even you know secular environments if, as long as i feel safe there um mm-hmm. and you know this week i connected with agape international missions i'm hoping to go to indonesia to work with some of their programs and to speak within the U.S. to support what they do. And so that's primarily what I do. Um, so I'm happy to offer my testimony um, to come and speak to men's groups, women's groups, um, whoever is willing or wanting to listen. And then uh, I think this spring I've got, well, we're already in the summer. I have three <laughs> tentative invitations to um, come speak again. So uh, we'll be doing another road trip and you know, Susie will remind me, just don't call me up on the platform because I do not want to be in the spotlight. (laughs) Well, God bless Susie and all the other introverts that put up with us. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing. And um, I'm humbled by your, by your spirit of grace and, and forgiveness. And I would just appreciate being a part of part of your journey. Well, you have my email too. And thank you very much. It was, a, it's truly a joy to connect with you. And, you know, when Montana is a pretty short drive. Yep. You're not far away. <laughs> no, exactly. And if you want me to, if you have a group up there that wants to hear me speak, I'll be happy to do it. So. Great. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts today. You can follow Jill on social media on Facebook and Instagram, JillRiley.author, and Twitter, JillRileyAuthor. 
To contact Jill, email jill at jillreilly.org.